Look at Matthew chapter 7. We're just about done with the Sermon on the Mount. We have this week and next week, and we'll be concluding this particular sermon that Jesus preached all so many years ago. And so let's look, if we could here, Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 13, and I will read down to verse number 23. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 13. The Bible says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves." Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There's a few places in the Bible that I highlight as some of the saddest words in all of Scripture. Those four words, I never knew you. I want to preach this morning three considerations concerning eternal life. And so let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we... Ask for your help, for your guidance upon this hour. Thank you already for what has transpired, how you've spoken to our hearts. We've been reminded, for those of us who are born again, of that blessed assurance. We've sung about that great God, our King, seated on His throne. Lord, right now, as we reflect on your Word and what you have for us, very important, may we not miss this. There are going to be some in this room right now who will occupy their thinking with everything else but what is ahead of them. I pray, Lord, that every thought will be brought into obedience, that we would reflect upon our own soul and know truly whether we are in the faith. Thank you again for this time. Help me, Lord, to do what you've asked me to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Throughout this sermon that Jesus has preached, what is called the Sermon on the Mount, Christ has taught us about the character of those that are in His kingdom, and that is seen in the Beatitudes. They are people who are poor in spirit. They mourn over sin. They are the meek who submit to the Lord's working in their life. And they hunger and thirst for righteousness and 
on and on the list of the Beatitudes goes. And ultimately, people that live this way are going to find themselves in this world being persecuted for living for Jesus. These people that are part of God's kingdom really exercise a higher standard of righteousness than the so-called Pharisees who thought that they were okay because they did things to be seen of men. They sought the honor for themselves, not the honor for God. They were hypocritical leaders, only focused on the outward, not the inward reality. And now we come to this passage of Scripture, these 10, 11 verses that I read, and this almost becomes a little turning point in the sermon that Jesus is preaching. Jesus now is done with all the morals that He has given through this sermon, and now He's given some warnings, and He's going to conclude with a parable, and He's going to give in this conclusion some very strong contrasts. Here at the end of the sermon, Jesus gives His conclusion. He actually goes ahead and applies everything he said up to this point. And how does he apply it? Well, he calls all of us who are listening, those that were listening verbally to what Jesus was saying, and those of us here today, he's calling all of us to choose the path that we will take. In other words, choose which kingdom you'll be a part of. Can I say to you today that no one is born into God's kingdom, at least not naturally. It doesn't matter if your parents or your grandparents or other people that you are very close to always went to church or maybe they had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It does not matter if you were baptized as an infant or dedicated as a child in the church. Your decision must be a personal decision for Jesus Christ, in order for you to enter into eternal life. Now you say, preacher, enter what? What am I entering? Well, the Bible talks about, if you look through the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew talks a lot about this phrase, the kingdom of heaven. In fact, roughly about 30 times that particular phrase is mentioned. Some theologians have taken the kingdom of God, which is mentioned four times in Matthew, and the kingdom of heaven, and tried to build a contrast between those two. I personally think they're synonymous. But truthfully, when we look at the kingdom of heaven, we have to understand, what is Jesus talking about us entering this kingdom of heaven? Well, in order to answer that question, it's important to understand the context of the scripture where we're at. The book of Matthew is what I like to call a transitional book. In fact, all the Gospels, the four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all transitional books. They are transitioning from the Old Testament economy to the New Testament economy where we are. In other words, the gospel writers were Jewish people themselves. They were people that understood the sacrificial system, the way things were done with the Jewish people in the Old Testament. And now they are bringing along and they're transitioning to this era that we know of as the New Testament. And Matthew in particular, not only being a transitional writer, but a very specific writer, his audience wasn't just a general group of people, he is writing to Jewish people. And when Matthew shares with his audience, the Jews, about the kingdom of heaven, 
every young Jewish boy and every young Jewish girl would have a connotation of what the kingdom was all about. You see, every young boy and every girl that grew up in the Jewish faith readily understood the kingdom. They understood the king. And to them, their greatest king was a man by the name of David. David was a man who had been promised by God that his kingdom would never end. Now David was king, died. David had the next son, Solomon. He became king and then he died and so on and so forth. But there was a king named Jesus who broke through heaven's glories and came to this earth, took upon himself human flesh, was born in the lineage of David and became the king. And someday Jesus is going to rule and reign over this earth forever and ever. And when these people hear about the kingdom and being able to enter the kingdom, they think to themselves, wow, God is finally going to establish his kingdom on this earth. You see, the Jewish people, when Jesus was here, offered the kingdom. But what did the Jewish people in large part do with Jesus Christ? They rejected him. And his rejection, ultimately, in God's plan, led to him dying on the cross of Calvary. And now, God is offering something, not just to Jewish people, but to those of us who are non-Jews, Gentiles. You and I today have an offer of salvation. Sure, we enjoy and will gain the fruits of the kingdom of heaven someday on this earth when Jesus rules and reigns for a thousand years. And ultimately, that thousand years will go into the eternal state and forever will be with God. But this Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is talking about those who are part of that kingdom, those who receive that, they will be part of that forever. But it is a decision you must make to enter in. And as Jesus discusses this particular kingdom, and he talks about those who enter in, he actually, in these verses that we read, makes some interesting things that we ought to observe. First of all, I note something in reading this. Not everybody's going to make it. Number two, there's a lot of deception in this world on how to make it. And number three, not everyone who says they have eternal life really have it. So let's open up these verses here and consider three things concerning eternal life. According to verses 13 and 14, I want you to notice it's imperative that you pick the right path. Now, I'm quite sure you've heard this phrase. In fact, if I begin it, I'll bet you you could end it for me. All roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to, I heard somebody say, God. For all of my life, I have heard that phrase, all roads lead to heaven. It seems to be popular today to state that everybody is going to heaven. We live in a world today that is all about inclusion. We don't want to exclude anybody. And yet Jesus in this sermon brings out something totally different concerning entrance into his kingdom and the matter of eternal life. In other words, Jesus now begins to tell us that there are actually two different paths here that you can walk through in this life. And one leads to eternal life, the other does not. 
You and I ought not to be familiar with the fact that there's two ways in this world. Two ways presented in the Bible. In fact, the Bible, if you look at it from cover to cover, has always insisted that there are only two ways in this life. These two ways, you look at in the Old Testament, you can see the way of the wicked or the way of the righteous. You can see in the book of Proverbs the way of the foolish one or the way of wisdom. You can see the way of death, the way of life. And now in this sermon, as Matthew is recording here what Jesus preached before that audience, he is giving to us some new vocabulary. He calls these paths the straight and narrow path and the broad and wide path. Now let's take a moment just to ponder on each of these. Let's talk for just a moment what Jesus calls the broad path. Notice it's referred to as broad, and that broad path can be entered through the wide gate. That broad path, wide gate, it's easy to find. It's easy to see that there's a lot of travelers on this road. They'll never lack any company because there's a lot of people with them. And Jesus, in fact, says that there's so many people that he says that there be many which go in thereat. And in the context, I believe that this particular path, this wide and broad path, is one of worldly living. It's populated by those who ignore God's standard of living and instead fall another. It's populated by those who believe that in order to get to heaven, in order to have eternal life, that I've got to believe that I can get there on my own. And therefore, it's well populated. But while this path is popular, unfortunately, Jesus has something to say about the ultimate destination of this path. This wide path leads to destruction. Oh, there's a lot of people that think in this wide path that they're on the right path. They think they're on the right road, but really, they are not. A number of years ago, a particular group called Lifeway Research did a particular polling of people that said they were believers. And here's what they found about some of these people. They found that 67% of Americans believe that heaven is a real place while 61% say the same thing about hell. But 45% of Americans believe that there are many ways to heaven, and only 18% believe that even small sins are worthy of damnation. Well, those were the only issues that were dealt with in this particular polling, and they found out that some people had even other differing views about the Bible. 71% believe that people contribute something to their salvation. 67% agree that most people are by nature good. Now, the president of this research group by the name of Ed Stetzer, I think he put it very well when he said, Consumers in America are accustomed to having endless combinations of choices for every want of life. It doesn't matter whether you go to get something to eat or you choose an item to buy. We like our options, and sadly, that whole mentality is spilled over into the religious world, the Christian world, where we think to ourselves, there are many options when it comes to heaven. That's the broad path. That's the wide path. You'll have a lot of company if that's what you believe. If that's how you think about getting to heaven, you'll be shoulder to shoulder with others who think, well, I'll get to heaven because of 
I'm good because of this, because of that. But now notice the other path that Jesus points out. It is the narrow path. Two words interesting that Jesus uses about this. Number one, it's narrow. Number two, it is straight. The word narrow means to be compressed or pressed together. The word that is used, the Greek word through the New Testament, is also used of going through a trial and being pressed together by circumstance. That's the word narrow. The word straight here has this idea. Don't confuse it with the word straight, S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. Notice this is S-T-R-A-I-T. It means not crooked or bent. It doesn't mean crooked or bent, but it has the idea of being something small or difficult to enter. That's the narrow gate, the straight gate. It's quite amazing here that the descriptions are quite opposite of that broad and narrow gate or broad and wide gate. It is so different. And in fact, that narrow straight gate does not lead to destruction. It leads to eternal life. But notice something here. While the wide path is easily followed and well populated, what did Jesus say here about people finding at the end of verse 14, and few there be that find it. Think with me about that. Few. Few there be. Now, why the stark contrasts? Doesn't Jesus want everybody to go to heaven? Of course he does. God's not willing that any should perish, the book of Peter tells us. But there is only one way to heaven. Jesus made that very clear while he was here on this earth. John chapter 14, verse number 6, Jesus made it clear. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, I want to tell you something. There either either is this belief that you have that you can get to heaven on your own and believe what you're doing, that it'll get you to God, or you believe what Jesus, God's dear eternal Son, said, that He is the way of salvation. This way is narrow and straight. This way is wide and popular. Go to many churches today and they'll teach you there's a lot of different ways to heaven. You know why people shudder when they come into a Baptist church like this? Because we start talking about the fact that Jesus is the only way of eternal life. It's very clear. In fact, I like the way John MacArthur put it. He said this uh, when he talked about these two paths and shared their contrast. He said there have always been but two systems of religions in the world. One is God's system of divine accomplishment. The other is man's system of human achievement. One is the religion of God's grace, the other the religion of men's works. One is the religion of faith, the other is the religion of the flesh. One is the religion of the sincere heart, the internal, and the other the religion of hypocrisy and the external. Within man's system are thousands of religious forms and names, but they're all built on the achievements of man and the inspiration of Satan. 
Christianity, on the other hand, is the religion of divine accomplishment and it stands alone. So the question I have for you today is very simple. Which path will you choose? Will you take the path of basing your or eternal destiny on you and your good works? Or will you base your eternity on what Jesus has already done for you? So number one, we see that it's important to pick the right path. But I want you to note something that does, that does not come without some complications on this sinful earth. Because secondly, I want you to notice you have to pay attention to the right preachers. Listen to me. You've got to pay attention to the right preachers. Look at this word Jesus uses here in verse number 15 as I look at verses 15 to 20. He uses the word about prophets. Now you say, preacher, I, I thought prophets were mainly back there in the Old Testament. Preachers, did. Yeah, you're right, but there's somewhat of a similarity, if you will. While prophets in the Old Testament were to foretell things and they were to give God's message... Preachers today are also giving God's message. Prophets in the Old Testament over here gave a message that yet was not given. God's total word was not complete and prophets would give it. And you'd have to determine, is this a false prophet, a true prophet? But today as a preacher, I'm not in the same vein as the Old Testament prophets because now I hold a completed Bible. There's no more God's adding to this book. And so today, as I, if I can use the word, prophesy or preach and share the message, guess how you can tell whether I'm a false prophet or not? Look at this book. Every Sunday, I encourage you, and I hope you do this, that you take the message that I preach and you compare it with the Bible and make sure, because to determine if I'm a false preacher is to note this book. So here Jesus is kind of telling us here, you got to be wary of some of the preachers today. And truthfully, we're no different today, are we? We're living in a day where we're full of preachers of every stripe and color. You can find preachers all through the cable networks. You can find preachers, their sermons in print. You can listen to them on social media, on podcasts, on the radio. And when it comes to the matter of eternal life, the most important subject, it's amazing how many different voices you'll hear. The sad reality is this, though. This is what Jesus said. These false prophets, preachers, will come to you with a little bit of truth wrapped up in a whole lot of bad. And the analogy Jesus gives is these particular preachers, if you will, are pretending to be sheep, but really, they're wolves. You know, it's amazing the Bible's accuracy of giving this, that even children's stories have been based off of this particular analogy. And so here we read that these false preachers, false prophets, come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are wolves. Now, can I say this honestly, and I think all of us would understand this, People typically aren't going to be drawn by somebody. If the devil came to you and said, now look, I'm the devil. He's got a pitchfork in hand. You see his tail out the back. And he says, you come follow me. Everybody go, no. 
But sadly, we have preachers who will appear through their works, through their words, their actions, all sorts of things. They will fool you with a little bit of truth and they'll mix in a lot of heresy and a lot of things that are not good and will begin drawing people away. Now, my friend, I want to tell you something. The Bible has a lot to say about false preachers and false prophets. Jesus predicted it in Matthew 24, 11, Many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. Paul, speaking to the Ephesian elders, that last meeting he had with all those pastors, he got them together and he wanted to give them some things that they could take back to their churches. And here's what he says in Acts 20. For I know this. That after my departing, that is, when I leave, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also of your own selves. That means within your own body of believers here, there's going to be some that will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, preacher, here's what you're to do. Watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn you, every one of you, night and day with tears. You know what my job is as a preacher? Is to constantly warn of the wolves that are out there. My job is to edify, to encourage you in the things of God. And I trust that every Sunday you're here, you walk away and you are encouraged in the things of God. But that's not the full scope of my position here. I am to also warn because there's a lot of false teaching out there. And sadly, there's a lot of people that have gone, got drawn in to that false teaching. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, gives us a lot of warnings about false teachers. And here's what he says. There were false prophets among the people. As there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And I'll tell you, if you go in Second Peter chapter 2, you see the description he's given. So let me ask this, if I'm going to be inundated here, and we are being inundated with a lot of different voices, how do I know who's telling me the truth? I mean, preacher... I'm looking you over now. I want to see if you're telling me the truth. How do I know who is a false prophet who is not? Jesus gives the answer. He says you'll know them by their fruits. In other words, you and I need to guard ourselves against the false preachers by taking heed to the fruit that's in their lives. This means that I need to watch a person's life. If there's somebody in the ministry, I need to observe their ministry. Well, how so? Well, first of all, here's three things that you can mark down. I didn't put these on the screen, but notice this. You and I ought to pay attention to the conduct of their life. Do they show a life of righteousness? Is there a humility in their life? Are they faithful in how they live? Are they faithful to the word of God? There's something to be said about the conduct of their life. Number two, when you observe the fruit in their life, we should pay attention to the content of their teaching. Is what they're saying true from the Word of God, or is it man-centered? 
Is it appealing to the ears that they want everybody's ears to be tickled, as the Bible tells us? Or are they letting the Word of God go as it ought to be given? But number three, you and I ought to pay attention to the conclusion of their teaching. Are people really growing in Jesus or are they merely being entertained? Are people eventually falling away from the faith because there's really no substance that's there? Let me tell you something. How do you and I know about a false preacher? Well, you observe the fruit in their life. And how does that shake out today? You say, preacher, I want you to start naming names for me. You know, I often don't do that, and here's why. Because the moment I name one false teacher, there's another one on the other side that rises up. And I can go for a whole sermon, and I can say, be wary of this man, be wary of that ministry, be wary of this. But my friend, if you inundate yourself with the Word of God, and you know this book, you'll see error when it flies in the face. You'll know it because you'll know the truth. And you'll see the fruits and you'll say, aha, that's false. This is right. Now, just being able to look out today, can I say to you that the cults today, they may sound really nice. They may appeal to things that we're facing emotionally today. Look at what the Jehovah's Witnesses will write in letters to you. As they come knock on your door, they begin appealing about things that are going on in this world and things that pull at our heartstrings. But I want to tell you something. When it comes to Jesus Christ, when it comes to eternal destiny, those people are wrong and they're preaching a false doctrine. There are those that are out there today who teach salvation by means of good works. I want to tell you, now I could go ahead and start naming. It might be certain groups out there, certain religious groups. There might even be certain denominations that will tell you, oh, believe in Jesus. But they'll add to that, get baptized, be sure you take the Lord's Supper, and those things save you, my friend. I want to tell you something. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Because when Jesus died on the cross, He satisfied the wrath of God. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, that you or I can contribute to what Jesus did on the cross. Nothing. Jesus paid it all, as the song says. All to Him I owe. So I want to tell you, you've got to pick the right preachers. But lastly, number three, the remaining verses, ponder your profession. When considering eternity, pick the right path, pay attention to the right preachers, ponder your profession. I believe what Jesus is driving at in these remaining verses is the fact that not everybody who thinks they're on the right path are really on the right path. Therefore, you and I that are listening today ought to give strong consideration to where we are in our spiritual journey. Remember at the beginning of the sermon, we discussed the fact Jesus gave that there really are two paths. One path was narrow because it's through Jesus and the finished work on Calvary. The other path is a broad path and is entered by one's own good works or what people think would get them to heaven. There are many today who with their head knowledge, 
will accept that Jesus is the only way, but still believe that they must achieve something to gain eternal life. Notice how interesting it is that Jesus puts here, look at verse number 21, Not everyone that saith in me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. We think, well, if I know the Lord and I call out His name, surely I'm going to go to heaven. Look at verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, now look at these fine works. Have we not prophesied in thy name? I mean, look, if we were to categorize some works, would we not put prophesying in Jesus' name up there at the top of the list? We'd say, man, that's powerful. But Jesus said, just because you say you've done that doesn't mean that's going to gain entrance into heaven. And in thy name have cast out devils. Whoa! You mean mean there's some people that may have cast out devils that won't make it? Jesus said so. You mean there's going to be some people who in Jesus' name have done many wonderful works? Right. You know what Jesus is getting at in these verses? These are people who acknowledge who Jesus is. They know what Jesus has accomplished, but they are saying, I'm not resting fully in Him I need to contribute and get to heaven on my own. And I want to tell you something, friend, that if this is what you submit today, if this is what you hold, and when you're asked how you get to heaven, and you say to yourself, well, I've done this and I've been that, then, my friend, I'm going to tell you something. You have the wrong answer. I often ask people this question. I don't know if this is going to happen this way, but let's just imagine this. You slip off into eternity, your life is over now, and you stand before God. God looks at you personally, names you by name. He says, why should I let you into my heaven? Good question, isn't it? You know what I've heard a lot of people answer? Well... I've been to church a lot. I've done, and they start naming things that they've done. So here's what I do. Time out. Stop. Wrong answer. How do you know that's a wrong answer, preacher? Because the Bible tells me. And I began opening up the gospel, and I share with people how they're a sinner. Oh, I agree with that. I'm a sinner. I share with people how sin will take people to hell because God can't allow sin in heaven. Okay, I see there's a heaven, there's a hell. I understand that. But then I begin showing how the Bible says that not a person can work for their salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3, 5, Not of works of righteousness, which we have done. But it's according to His mercy He saved us. So therefore, yes, we're sinners. Yes, our sin will take us to hell. But you can't overcome your sin to get to heaven. It's amazing how many people think when they get to heaven, God's got this grand scale up in heaven. He takes all your bad stuff and tosses them over here. Takes all the little good things you did and puts them over here. And people think that they're going to stand there and go, I hope it overpowers that side over there. That I'll get to heaven by what I've done. But John 3.16 makes it so clear. God so loved the world. He loves you. That He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever. Put your name in there. Whosoever. 
believeth in him. Not believeth in him and goes to church all the time. Not believeth in him and gives money to the church. Not believeth in him and is a good worker for Jesus. Believes in him that they're a sinner, that Jesus died for their sin. Those who believe in Jesus, the Bible says, they have eternal life. Now, can I say to you, this is what Jesus said is the will of the Father. Look here at verse number 22. Or no, verse number 21. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. How do you get to heaven? By doing the will of the Father. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. I thought it was not by good works that we get to heaven. It's not by good works. Don't think that that phrase is telling us that there's something we must do. Do you know what Jesus says is the will of his Father? To all those who receive Jesus Christ and believe in him, that's the will of the Father. Jesus was asked in John chapter 6, what are the works here that must be accomplished? And Jesus made it very clear. Here's the works that you believe on him who has been sent. That's Jesus. So what's the will here of God today? The very purpose of why we exist. One of the main functions of Calvary Baptist Church. One of the main functions of why I'm here is to share the good news of Jesus Christ that you can be saved from your sins, that you can go to heaven someday, not based on who you are or what you did, but by what Jesus already has done for you. It's Him. Now, in conclusion here today, I must say that really these are very important matters for you and I to consider. And truthfully, when we consider this, I know I use the word profession here in this last point, but I want you to understand that there's far too many people in Christian circles who only have a mere profession of faith. How do you know you're saved? Oh, my mom just kind of got me beside the bed and I said a few little words. I'm telling you, if you're trusting that and your life hasn't changed a whole lot, then I, I, I would be a little shaky if I were you. You see, it's not the profession. It's the possession. Those who truly trust Jesus Christ as their Savior have eternal life. It's a present possession. And you know it. See, you're here today, and you're in one of three camps. Either you're here today, and you say, I'm saved, and I know it, and I'm going to heaven. Or, you're saying, well, I I don't know. Or, you know you don't have it. Let me just tell you, those last two categories might as well be lumped together. Because if you doubt your salvation today then you're in the right place at the right time. And when we have our invitation time, why don't you just bolt right up to the front. We'll have personal workers here, and we'll be glad to sit down and open up the Bible and share with you how you can know Jesus is your Savior. Wouldn't you like to know? I'll tell you, the greatest relationship in this whole wide world, as much as I love being married, the greatest relationship is with Jesus Christ. To know Him is to know eternal life. Let me give some concluding questions here if I could. Could I ask you this? Which direction are you going? What path are you following? Are you following the wide, broad path? 
going the direction that everybody says, this is the way to eternal life, or are you going God's direction? Number two question, who are you listening to? Oh, it's important. We, we're, we're a people that are consumed with all sorts of things that are being given to us today. Who are you listening to? Number three, what are you trusting in to get to heaven? Are you trusting in you? Or are you trusting in Jesus and in Him alone? Our Father, we thank You for today. Thank You for the Word of God, this powerful, powerful sermon that Jesus preached as He came to this conclusion and applied it here and talked about those who would enter in. It's very, very clear that only those who place their faith in Jesus Christ will have eternal life. I pray that today every person would have a clarity and understanding of whether they're in the faith or not. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just would like to ask you this question. Do you here today know Jesus as your personal Savior? You say, preacher, I'm confident. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I died today, I know that I go to heaven. And I'd like you to just do this. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking. By uplifted hand, you say, Preacher, I'm saved, and I know it, and I want to testify of that here today. Would you raise your hand right now? God bless you. You may put your hand down. Now, there's some of you here today that you didn't raise your hand. I didn't see every hand, really. It's possible you didn't either understand the question, or maybe you know for sure that you're not saved Could I encourage you today to go ahead and take the time to ask Jesus into your heart to know that you're going to heaven? You say, preacher, I know I'm not saved, or I'm I'm doubting. I'm, I'm confused about it, but I want to settle it today. Wonderful. Why don't today, right now in your seat, you ask Jesus in your heart to be your Savior? You say, preacher, can I do that right now? Absolutely. I'd like to lead you publicly in a sinner's prayer. Please understand, don't, there's no formula in the words per se. It's not, well, if I say these words just right, God's going to unlock this little mystery for me. No, no. The Bible says in Romans ten nine that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, that's praying and asking God, but if you believe with your heart, you see, this is with the mouth, confession is made, and with the heart, man believeth unto salvation. You have to believe with all your heart. So right now, I'd like to go ahead and pray what I call the sinner's prayer. I'd like to pray it out loud. And if you would like to be saved today, why don't you pray that to yourself and pray it unto God? Here's the prayer. I'd like to ask you to pray it if you're not saved here today. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm confident of this fact that I cannot do anything to gain eternal life. But I believe that Jesus Christ, God's holy Son, died on the cross to wash my sins away. And right now, the best that I know how, I'm asking Jesus Christ to forgive me of all my sins and become my personal Savior and give me eternal life as is promised in the Bible. 
Now, my friend, right now here today, while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to know the greatest decision you've made is just right now. And if you meant that decision, and you're not ashamed of Jesus Christ because He died on the cross for you, I'd like to just take a moment, nobody's looking but myself, and I'd like to just rejoice with you. If you're here today and you just prayed that prayer, ask the Lord to save you, would you just lift your hand right now? Anyone here today? Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. I asked the Lord into my heart, and I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Anyone here today? I trust that each person would know Jesus as their Savior. Could I speak to you Christians here today? I would pretty well guarantee that every person here knows someone that is without Jesus. This week over the holidays, you may have gotten together with some family. And always over the dinner table, isn't amazing how the subject of religion comes up? It's possible you have an unsaved family member, an unsaved neighbor, a friend, a co-worker. Unless somebody tells them about Jesus, they're going to die and go to hell. And it's upon you to tell them. How many here today with eyes closed, heads bowed, would say, Preacher, I have somebody that I know, and I'm burdened about them. And I, just by uplifted hand, you say, I, I want to pray for them here today. Would you just lift your hand? Preacher, I'm burdened today about so-and-so. And lift your hand for just a moment. God bless you. You may put your hand down. Could I invite you to come and pray for them? Come right up to the front at the altar. We have an invitation in just a moment. We're going to have you stand. Our, our heads will still be bowed, eyes closed. And we're going to invite you up to the front here just to kneel or to sit in the front row and to treat this as it were an old-fashioned altar and to lay that burden out before God and say, Oh, God, this person I'm burdened for, and I want to share Jesus with them. Because I don't want them getting to stand before Jesus and say, Well, Lord, I, I did this and I did that. And the Lord says to them, I never knew you. If you're truly a friend or a good family member, then you need to ask God to give you a burden to share Jesus with them.